0: is the Toddcast, a podcast that I, a guy named Todd, record while I drive to or from work, talking about a variety of things. There are no scripts, no show notes, just me chatting while I commute, so you can sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, and welcome to the Toddcast. We are joined today for a special edition by our executive producer, Abby. Hi, Abby. Hello. And of course, we've got Eric on with us as well. Is this where I say hi? I'm guessing. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's protocol. (laughs) That's right. Awkward awkward starts is how we roll. So for those of you who've been listening in semi-real time, we just recently released our paper versus plastic episode where Eric and I talked a little bit about recycling and using paper plates versus the uh, dishwasher, things of that nature. And one of our longtime listeners and aforementioned executive producer was listening to the episode, had some thoughts, and asked if she could join us. I don't know if retractions are, are the right words for this. Uh, she's got some input. She's got some insights she wants to share. I believe part of the, the conversation was not that we were necessarily wrong, but that we kind of came up just shy of having useful information. <laughs> and, and Abby has all sorts of actual useful information. And while just shy of useful information could be the tagline of the podcast we wanted to do our we wanted to do the right thing and, and and get some good info in there for the listeners. So that's why we're all gathered today.
1: Yes, I yeah. Todd, I I think that uh, is a great way to sum it up. Basically, we're also saying Abby's here to class up the joint and bring <laughs> uh, actual good information that uh, might be useful in your day to day life, which uh, we aren't necessarily known for. So, I it's guess true. We should, we should, yeah, we should kick it over to Abby and let let's get let's class this place up right now.
2: Well, I very much appreciate you guys letting me come on and talk with you about this topic. Uh, I had a lot of passionate feelings while listening to your paper or plastic episode, and in the episode, I think Todd indicated that that would be the case. Uh, he knows me well enough to know that I don't find uh, sustainability a pointless debate, but I actually think it's not really a debate about whether or not you use paper plates or plastic or what have you. I think the discussion really should be refocused away from consumer behavior onto corporate behavior. Um, I think most people feel similarly to the two of you. You know, you want to be responsible. You want to make good choices. You want to recycle where possible. You also want to enjoy convenience. I know I feel that same way. But I think most people don't realize that recycling is one of the greatest myths perpetrated against our generation, and so that's kind of what I want to address. I I kind of want to focus the conversation on: is recycling at all effective, and what can we really do if we care about sustainability in our everyday decisions?
1: Well, that's that. Those are some. uh powerful statements. I would definitely say. I didn't think. Yeah, you're right. We probably didn't discuss anything on corporate <laughs> in, in terms of behaviors. We were looking on a very micro scale, but I'm very interested in hearing. From what I understand, your your several. I wouldn't say pages of notes, but I know you definitely took some. Uh, you have some statements or or facts that you'd like to discuss with us. So uh, that's that's my you know I, that's my overall <laughs> thought. What, what's your thoughts, Todd? Yeah. You you got probably to see some yeah. of this.
0: Well, uh, yeah. Unlike, unlike, you know, what I say in the intro, where there are no, there's no script, no show notes. There's still no script, but but Abby is bringing bringing the written word with her this morning. I I know she's she's done her homework, and comes well armed with with actual facts, and not just witty off the cuff nonsense like you and I normally banter with. So I I have not actually gotten a preview of any of this. Wanted to keep it keep it live for the for the podcast.
2: All right. Well, let's just dive in. First of all, only 10% of plastic has ever been recycled in the history of plastic. Recycling was not meant to be successful. It wasn't set up to be a successful system. It was a way for plastics manufacturers to redirect attention away from their manufacturing practices and onto consumers, which has worked really effectively, as is evidenced by the fact that you guys spent a good chunk of time talking about your consumer behavior and never about the people making this stuff. Uh, That's exactly what they want you to do. They worked really hard to create confusion in the system and to make consumers feel responsible for the litter problem. Uh, I'm gonna provide a little context. Uh, It used to be the norm for bottles and packaging to be reused. You'd drink your soda or your beer or your milk and then you would return the bottle or the milkman would pick it up from your front porch and it would be washed and reused. Do you guys remember ever returning bottles back in the Oh day? yeah yeah.
0: Back when soda came in glass bottles and and dad would pick up RC by the metric I, I believe the the proper unit of measure was metric fuck ton. Uh, <laughs> and um and no, we would fill the back of the station wagon with the empties and take them into the take them into the store and and roll them down nifty little conveyor belts and get a little receipt that you you get your your deposit back on them. Yeah, I I still remember that and I remember when they when they switched over to cans and I remember Dad did not care for the taste of RC out of a can the same way it was out of a bottle and that's when he switched over to Cherry Coke.
1: Yeah, I don't think I was ever around. Or at least old enough to witness any of this I recall cans I only remember recycling and I do not remember I mean the the milkman and the dropping off six things of milk is only that of my tv and or shows that uh, my mom watches when she's at our house so that like I don't know or ever seen that but obviously it's built into a lot of our pop culture old school references where you see that you know, the whole milkman and and so forth, which I'm, you know, drop off your empties, he'll pick them up and and so forth. So that's pretty darn interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I said, prior to World War II, that was the norm for American families. I've shared with Todd before that we had a milkman growing up, which I know was abnormal based on my age as a child of the 80s. Yeah, Um,
1: yeah. pretty much my age, right?
2: Right. Uh, But Everything came in plastic. Like he didn't come back for the bottles. He was just dropping okay. stuff off to the house. Oh, okay. Which, you know, in a house with four kids, you go through a lot of milk. I'm sure it was a huge time savings for my mom, but there was no environmental benefit to using no. this delivery man, whose name was Dan, uh, and we would bake him cookies at Christmas. But well, that's good. Yeah,
1: that's, uh, I, you know, everybody should have a milkman. That, that'd be great. I would personally, uh, Hunter would probably be best friends with our milkman, <laughs> like... <laughs> that he'd, he'd be over. He'd probably be at our house for Thanksgiving dinner. That's how much we'd we'd appreciate this gentleman. Yeah. I oh
2: think, yeah. I think that's true.
0: I think that would almost be a valid uh, career path for for young Hunter if it existed. Oh my existed. Except that yeah, right. he would constantly be getting high on his own supply, which might that's, cause some problems. But. That's
1: it. He would. He would. <laughs> he'd be showing up at house. Oh no. We must. It must have fell off the wagon. Don't know. Don't know where this milk went. Ah. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. so not to segue, but man, that is that was some, you know, and you might take offense to this, but that was master marketing by these people to completely make us feel feel like like it's our fault and completely turn focus. So that that sounds um, pretty pretty grimy in a sense.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, basically, following World War II, there's all this major increase in consumption, right? People yeah. have security, they have money. The so-called golden age of capitalism began. I assume you could hear my quotation marks on that. And if mm-hmm. you want to have an episode about the golden age of capitalism, invite me back. I will. I will talk <laughs> for hours. Um, but the important fact is that people were buying more. They were using more. And you also had like innovations in refrigeration and transportation that added to the availability of food. And like you could have food that wasn't necessarily in season, um, which was great. terms of decreasing food waste like when you're buying all your food fresh a lot of that ends up getting thrown out if you don't eat it Um, but there's definitely increased packaging that comes with that and so beverage makers are like they're looking at all this increased purchasing and they want to maximize their profits and reusing glass bottles come at a cost you have to wash and sanitize them and so they want a cheaper option so more of that post-World War II money can stay in their pocket. The answer was plastic. Single-use disposable bottles would save these manufacturers a lot of money, but nobody knew what to do with disposable bottles. Your average consumer had no idea how to throw away a perfectly good bottle. So the plastics companies and beverage companies had to quote-unquote educate consumers on how to throw garbage out. There were actually advertising campaigns that showed people scraping their plates into the trash can after dinner, throwing out the bottles they had drank out of, and then carrying that bag of trash out at the end of the night. Prior to the 50s, that was not commonplace behavior. And, in fact, until the 60s, most waste was burned in a barrel on site or taken to an open-burned landfill. So it really was this masterful education of people saying, it's totally fine to throw away perfectly good items.
0: And you and I were talking about this, I think it was last night, and that, that particular piece just kind of blew my mind. 'cause I've, mm-hmm. you know, we we've all grown up our whole lives, you know, there's a there's a trash can in the kitchen when you you know <laughs> we, we all know what it's for, we all know how to use it. I mean heck we we holler at our children to, you know, when they leave things laying about the house, go throw that away. It's so it's so ubiquitous and natural that you you've used a thing, pitch it. It it blows my mind that there was a point in our history, our very recent history, that people didn't do that. And and Abby, you were telling me that, you know, everything that was, you know, produced, that what we would normally throw in the trash was either, you know, like food waste that would go into a compost heap or was largely something that would get recycled in the truest sense, like returning the glass bottles. Things would get repaired or, (laughs) you know, things just weren't thrown away because we didn't have, you know, paper plates or paper towels or plastic bottles or or just all of the, the, the disposable Single use stuff that we have today, and that that kind of blew my mind.
1: Yeah, I would yeah. say that that is probably a eye opening aspect for me. But number one, like where who do we get to make more videos for stuff like that? Because I I personally nowadays would love to have instructional videos for my children to be like, all right, <laughs> you know, laundry goes here. All right, please put this in the sink. Put this in the dishwasher. But yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's that's pretty crazy, you know, to, to think that, you know, everything was being either burned or, or, you know, buried or whatever, however they disposed of it. But yeah, plastics created the problem, huh?
2: Absolutely. And these plastic manufacturers had no problem doing all sorts of things that are going to make you furious, really. Like, in order to get people to start throwing things away, they had to teach them that even glass was disposable. And they worked with glass manufacturers, to make their bottles thinner and lighter, and therefore more disposable. And so they were trying to get people to just throw glass away, which people do now. Some of it goes to recycling, but people don't think anything of throwing out a jar. And so obviously it works, glass is disposable. That actually caused a little bit of uh, trouble. The Vermont legislature uh, in 1953 passed a law that banned disposable bottles. And the packaging industry saw this one little law in this one little state as a real serious threat. And so they formed an organization that you may or may not have heard of called Keep America Beautiful. It's basically an anti-litter organization. And it was founded in the 1950s by beverage and packaging corporations. Does that name ring a bell to either of you?
1: That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, no, (laughs) I can't say I've heard, but... Then again, this is not this is not my wheelhouse. I'm 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 wondering if there's a hidden corporation there.
2: Well, here's here's what you might know keep America Beautiful for. Are either of you familiar with the quote unquote crying Indian advertisement? Oh
1: yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that's oh, yeah. what I thought of when we first started talking in general. I said that's the only thing I knew. So
2: <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that th- that advertisement was put out by Keep America Beautiful.
1: Okay. A well,
2: that A coalition sense. of plastic manufacturers.
0: That's the eye-opening thing for me, because I, I, you know, Keep America Beautiful, like I said, that, that sounded vaguely familiar. I, I thought about the advertisement with, with with the tears for the littering situation. But I guess I'd always assumed that that was, you know, that was a coalition of, you know, for lack of a better word, some sort of hippies. You know, say, say, you know some sort of tree-hugging, save the planet kind of folks. That was more like a, a public service announcement. And hearing that that was actually, you know, put together by the very corporations that were producing all of the garbage, essentially, that's that's a bit of a shocker to me.
2: Yeah. So, for listeners who don't remember this ad, you're probably a lot younger than me. Because, like, I wasn't even born when this ad came out, but it's ubiquitous, and I'm very familiar with it. In the original version, which aired on Earth Day 1971, there's this buckskin clad Native American guy with long braids and he paddles his canoe down this pristine river and there's a backdrop of booming drum beats right? And he glides past flotsam and Jetsam. The music grows. it kind of builds like a movie soundtrack. And he keeps rowing into a city harbor. You see ship, cranes, smog. He pulls his boat onto a bank and it's just strewn with litter and he gazes over on the freeway. And then the narrator says, in a much deeper voice than I have Uh, some people have a deep abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country and some people don't and as that happens someone flings a bag of trash from a passing car it scatters at the Indians feet he looks into the camera for the money shot and a single tear rolls down his cheek and the narrator declares people start pollution people can stop it Um, I'm going to take a quick side digression into racism for a moment, if I could. After generations of genocide and containment and military defeat, the U.S. started to write a new narrative about Native people at this time, and it's basically the noble savage. It's this idea that American Indians were primitive but proud, and they were a disappearing race, and it really captured the imagination of 20th century America, and that's the way Native people were characterized in Movies and TV. Keep American Beautiful really understood the power of this narrative and how people would buy into it, and they really used it. The guy in this ad was not Indigenous. He claimed to be for his entire life. He was on a ton of TV shows, he appeared in hundreds of Westerns, but he was Italian. And so there's all kinds of problems with this ad. Um, But the important takeaway is that it was really powerfully effective. And a generation of people were moved by this to be like, oh, what can I do? What What is my part in making sure that litter isn't everywhere? And I think people of a certain age still think of this ad today when this topic comes up.
0: So it's just lies on top of lies. And I guess my, my take on this is that I think to a certain degree, the sentiment is still good. I mean, I still think we shouldn't just toss stuff about the landscape and into the water and such. But really... From what you're saying, it sounds like the, tr- the tricky... Like, it's a good thing to tell people not to just throw things everywhere. But the real piece is that if, if they weren't producing so much disposable, single-use stuff in the first place, this wouldn't be the problem that it is.
2: And that is exactly what the plastics company did. You know, they were running into some grief in the 70s. And that's why they decided they would kind of flip the script and say okay, this is about your personal responsibility. You guys are the litter bugs. You're the ones throwing trash out the car window. And you got you to gotta find a way to clean up after yourselves. So like during the 70s, you start hearing this common refrain of reduce, reuse, recycle. And the heavy focus is on that recycle piece. And Todd, in the episode, the original episode, uh, you kind of noted that a lot of what you put in your recycling bin what you believe to be recyclable actually ends up in a landfill or it can contaminate quality recyclables and it can bring a plant to a crashing halt. Uh, You guys know, like when you pick up a plastic container and I think you guys talked about this, on the bottom, there are those chasing arrows that look like a recycle sign with a number in them. The plastics company came up with that symbol to basically trick consumers into thinking that if that's on something, it will be recycled. I mean, everything that has that stamp on it is technically, scientifically recyclable. But for most of the types of plastic, it's not actually recyclable in that there's no plant that does it. They know theoretically how to do it, but it's not economically feasible to do it. And so there was a huge fight at one point by consumer groups to get that symbol changed. They're like, it tricks people it looks like a recycling symbol it makes them think that this can be recycled and the plastics company won uh this site and that's why we have those markings there that don't mean much truly so, other than to just, make you feel like it's going to be recycled
0: right it's just a, it's just a here feel better about what it is you're doing sort okay. of a gesture that's that's right. all those little those little stamps are. Is if you're looking at two things and one of them has the little recycling symbol and the other doesn't, it's meant to give you the impression that we'll buy the recyclable one, it's the right thing to do, even though it's really six of one half dozen of the other.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm
0: looking at
1: a um a bottle of water here and it just has the symbol and it just says please recycle underneath. So it yes, it makes it look like there's no promise that they are going to recycle. I mean, it's saying that yes, please recycle as in telling me to put this in some type of recycle bin, but there's mm-hmm. no promise where it goes after the fact, which is uh, nice and interesting. And I guess, like I, I mentioned in a previous episode, I don't have any, I guess, rules of recycling in my previous city. And 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 mind you, now I'm in the new house. There are, there are still no rules for recycling. There's no recycling day or anything like that. So that kind of stuff is all kind of flown over my head in terms of even looking at it. So subconsciously, I don't think I've ever looked at anything like that. Uh, which might get a couple fingers pointed at me, but that is <laughs> that is the God-honest truth in my case. But
2: Well, I was just going to say, but when say. you look at that, even as an uneducated recycler, let's say, you would believe that bottle to be recyclable, right?
1: I, well, I just looked at it, yeah. That's what I, I mean. Yeah. Uh, You look at it and you say, "Oh, this is recyclable," but then you look at it and you're like, "Oh, that there's no real promise there. There, it just says it's telling me to recycle," which kind of goes back to everything that it sounds like the campaign of the evil uh, plastic manufacturers and and companies uh, have successfully succeeded in their 50 Mm -hmm. to now 70 year uh, war against against truth. So let's let's take a quick break. We'll come back. Abby will fill us in with some more eye-opening facts on this whole recycle aspect. All right. And we are back. We were just talking about the recycle symbol. Abby, what, uh, what other goods do we have that you uh, would like to let us know the, the lies? And I think we're in the seventies. Is that the time frame we're at right now? We just talked about the native American from 71 we're talking about some yes. laws where
2: they are allowed to use the symbol. That's right. So we're smack dab in the seventies, which was kind of an environmental awakening for Americans. Uh, you see a lot of interest in protecting the environment, kind of come to the forefront during the 70s and you've got organizations like Greenpeace going out and putting giant banners on barges saying you need to recycle and there's you know this heavy focus on this recycling there's this confusing system on the bottom of plastic packaging Uh, but but people are generally on board with the idea of recycling so as a country we start doing our best to take things that we think are recyclable and get them back into where they can be repurposed and what that has led to is basically facilities here in the United States are full of plastic that's not viably recyclable for a variety of reasons whether it's the type of plastic or that it's contaminated like there can't be any food on something that's going through a recycling plant you have to have really cleaned it and a lot of people will give stuff even a quick rinse before they throw it in their bin some people don't Clean their recyclables at all. And so a lot of plants are full of contaminated material or unusable material. And a lot of our plastic actually gets shipped to Asia. China quit taking it in 2018. They had been the chief consumer of our old plastic. Now Indonesia is kind of leading the front there. But a lot of times what they do is take our plastic out to a field and burn it. It's not, you send something to be recycled. Your recycling plant can't handle it, but they truly want it recycled, so they send it to another country where they think it'll get recycled, and then it just gets burned in the field. Well,
0: and I gotta think that all that burning the plastic, mm-hmm. that's gotta be even more horrible for the environment than even just throwing it in a, in a hole in the ground. Like, I'm I'm not I'm not a chemical engineer or anything, but I know there have been times where I've had just just a campfire and inadvertently thrown plastic in there and that you know it stinks to high hell and can't possibly be a good thing it seems to me that's making it actually worse (laughs) is that that is that that is a correct
2: assessment Yeah. yeah and a lot of times these are being burned like i said in a field but it's a field that is part of a village of people who are getting sick from this who have no recourse basically they can't stop it and they obviously look at this trash and think it's our fault as Americans, uh, it's not improving our standing in the world, really. Right now, I think we can use all the points we can get. But yeah, it, it's making people sick. It's ruining ecosystems. It's not ideal for the plastic to be burned at all. That,
0: uh, that makes paper sense. Paper
2: recycling, paper recycling, however, is much more effective than plastic recycling. It still depends. Like, there needs to be in your kind of local area a need for that recycled paper pulp. Um, So as demand for recycled paper products increases, uh, it makes it easier to recycle paper. It does still take a lot of energy and a lot of water to make recycled paper, but paper paper fare is better than plastic, for sure. Cans are actually highly recyclable if they're washed thoroughly. Like I was saying, any food or beverage residue can contaminate a facility and gum up the works. Aluminum is the most valuable recyclable material even so a lot of them end up in the landfill here in the u.s i think americans throw away something like a billion dollars worth of aluminum cans so if you want to go trash picking this weekend i'm game (laughs) well
0: well i guess and that's that's the thing you know from from being someone who was around during the big transition from glass bottles to canned soda like eric mentioned on the break (laughs) you get a penny for each of those cans when you recycle like i remember after that transition and again dad rocked through the, the the cherry coke and there were plenty of cans to be had we'd collect all those and there was a little machine outside the local grocery store that was a can crusher that you'd, you'd put a can in and push a button and it would crush it and and literally drop a penny uh you know mm-hmm. and and so i i remember doing that and you had and there was a there was a period there where every out were all aluminum And then somebody i think started using steel ones and so you had i think there was like a magnet there was something that would let Mm. you tell which was which because it would take one but not the other and i would think that the metals would be more easily recyclable because you melt it down and it's metal whereas if you try and melt down plastic, like just the chemicals in plastic don't make it easily meltable safely and like you're saying about paper it makes sense that, you know, if it's if it's done properly, you can pulp that back down and turn it back into paper. Like paper and metal makes sense to me as something that could be recycled somewhat reasonably. And Abby, that's that's what your your research sort of confirms.
2: Yeah, plastic recycling was never meant to be successful. And so it's not really going to be. I mean, when you look at it, recycling can be good like you said paper cans and I mean some plastic is successfully recycled even though it's a very small amount but you know and we all need to watch how much waste we produce but I think really what the question is at what point is our due diligence as individuals kind of distracting us from the much bigger problems that concerning our environment like what what are the questions we should be asking and I think we should be asking what decisions are the manufacturers making and why are they making those and what kind of changes can be implemented that alter how they're using the materials, how they're polluting. I mean, a recent report found that just 100 companies are responsible for 71 percent of global pollution since 1988. 25 corporations and state-owned entities are responsible for more than half of the global emissions. So, It would be much more effective to deal with that than to deal with whether or not Eric should use the paper plate. I mean, if your sink is overflowing, you walk into your house, your sink or your toilet is overflowing. You don't go running for the mop. You go to the water source and you turn it off. And then you clean up the mess and so i think we really have to be looking at corporations who are trying to make us responsible for the problem and they need to be held accountable
0: which which makes sense and I, and i i agree with all that but shy of my suddenly be being named ceo or you know chairman of the board or something for one of these corporations what can we do there like if recycling the plastic is not really an option is is the choice then to take it back a step, and when we're buying things, basically just don't support the companies that are contributing to all of this waste, and are you know trying to pinch their own pennies to to save a buck by going the cheaper, non sustainable route, and just steer away from those companies. Is is that the move?
2: So in theory, yes, uh, but it's really easy to say that when you're in a position to make buying choices like that. And even in our lives, if I said, okay, we're not going to buy anything that comes in plastic. I'm relatively certain that you would divorce me if you could not have Mountain Dew because of a rule I enacted. Like we're not getting way <laughs> I mean, <I>, plastic. <laughs> I mean, I
0: love me some Mountain Dew, but I, I don't know that that's divorce level <laughs> a- a- affection, but I get Let what you're saying. it's, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it, is, it is hard to, to to break away from that. You're right. There are right. certain certain things that you want to get that there just is not
1: an option. Point, point well made. Yeah. Just my point is if I'm walking down the grocery aisle and there's, a, you know, 100 choices, it's going to be nearly impossible for me, just the common folk to know or to do enough research to know oh, this was made by this bad brand because it says it right there. But this generic is also made by this bad brand. We just don't know it because it's the generic knockoff that they're still producing and so forth. So that is a lot of weight necessarily on a consumer that I just, it's unrealistic to think that, hey, we're going to have this list. And when we go down to the grocery store, we're going to try to match and mix and say, all right, this is the one company that actually is doing it right. Let me buy their product. So I feel that there there has to be some other option (laughs) or way- pressure maybe, pressure on those who can make change. I mean, I don't know if I'm in the right direction there, but.
2: You are, and I think I think what you said is exactly right and perfectly sums this up. An individual consumer, that's too much work for us. Like I'm pretty educated on the topic and I think a lot about the stuff that we buy and bring into our house because I'm in a position where I can do that. A, I care about this and B, I have free time and C, I have disposable income. You know, not everybody has all of that going for them. And even I don't always make perfect choices. Like, like you said, it's too difficult when you're walking down an aisle to know everything behind a company. It's actually really stressful to feel responsible for knowing all of that stuff. And so I think, you know, as consumers, we do the best that we can, but we need to be putting that pressure truly on lawmakers. I know there are lots of people who aren't huge fans of regulation, and I get where you're coming from. But this is one of those things that really needs regulation. It needs a government entity to say, this matters. We're drawing a line in the sand. You cannot keep behaving the way you've been behaving because we, as individual consumers, are not going to be able to make a dent in profits for these corporations. I mean, people can't get organized about anything. Even if we can get everybody excited about this topic, we're not, Pepsi doesn't care they're going to continue to make money. And so you really need that pressure from lawmakers, which means we need to be mindful about the issues and we need to be voting. And like I said, doing the best we can in our everyday lives. Cause that does matter. This isn't a license to litter. Like I didn't come on here to be like, it doesn't matter what you do. Hold on headlines.
1: Headlines, Abby loves littering.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh.
1: No, no, I, I think and you know and and I think there needs to be some creativity and what makes all of us as human beings pretty great is our uh, our not necessarily imagination but like we create solutions for things. So we created this problem like the mastermind marketers that made it th- seem like it's our problem and took it on us. Why can't we create solutions where hey we can still have we can still have our consumables and make it easy and stuff for us? But what's a better way or a more effective way? and when you're putting regulations on these corporations or whatever you know have somebody there that that finds a solution where it can be the same cost of manufacturing or equal to or close enough that yes we're not shipping jobs away from us because they'll do it cheaper elsewhere i think we as a human being and or people can create those creative solutions where we all can we can have a wonderful eco-friendly environment but also you can still make your money because let's face it we're not going to be able to stop you know companies from making money and we don't want them to because those are necessarily people that are paying uh employees and so forth so it's a slippery slope and i think we all realize that but when it comes down to it like we're all resting on what's easy and the easy is what's already been done and this is how we make it and this is how we make money and we know this is consistent why change it because it could cause you know a catastrophe but well let's Let's be smarter than that and let's realize that we we uh, we can innovate and utilize that. So, you know, I don't want to become a, a, a conversation of, well, you know, if we scare away these giant companies, then we're going to be screwed. No. How about we use our brains a little bit and we, you know, these companies got on top for a reason, whether it be master marketing ploys or let's just figure out how they can innovate and make us drink soda back out of glass or whatever, <laughs> you know, what whatever, whatever works.
2: Yeah. So- do you want to know now that we've talked through all of this how it how it ranks to use a paper plate versus a regular plate?
1: Yeah, that's don't care. That, that was point? kind of cruxy. No, no, I mean that's really that's that's really what we're here for today. <laughs> I, I need to yeah, I I mean need the answer there. That was the question yeah, that I mean, was looming over the last episode.
0: Yeah, I mean that's what got this whole thing started was do we use the paper plate or do we run the dishwasher? And if you have the answer to that, please lay it on us.
2: Okay. So it's not a simple Yes or no? There are a few factors. I think one thing is you've got to think about the manufacturing process for both items. A lot of times people think about you know the actual use of an item or what happens when you're done using it, but really most environmental impact of an item happens during the manufacturing process. So for paper plate, you've got pulp derived from wood fibers and it has to be bleached. Um, Chlorine compounds are ranked among the most hazardous industrial chemicals in large volume use. Paper manufacturing is super resource heavy. It takes a lot of water and energy to make paper. You're not going to be able to recycle a paper plate because it will be contaminated with food waste. So it really is a one and done sort of situation. A ceramic plate can be washed and reused thousands of times. In the manufacturing process, you know, you've got a ridiculously high heat to fire the material but once it's fired it's completely stable and won't ever break down so as long as you're not smashing plates on a regular basis the input <laughs> emissions are negligible when you consider how many uses you can get out of them but so then that brings us to washing uh, washing full load of dishes in a modern dishwasher uses significantly less water than you think it does uh, less water and less detergent per plate than doing it by hand You can run your dishwasher all the time and not use very much water or very much energy nowadays. So that's not really a factor. I think really what it comes down to is if we're talking about a plate for miles, miles is more likely to break a ceramic plate, which just chopped (laughs) the lifespan of that plate and rendered it less environmentally sustainable, right? So a paper plate for miles is probably on point. Although, a plastic one that you could wash would be better. But you also shouldn't feel bad, like, if you have a bunch of people over to your house and they make a pile of dirty dishes, don't think that running your dishwasher is some terrible impact. I think when you can use a real plate, you should use a real plate. And when, whether it's for safety, like with miles, or convenience, you use a paper plate. Don't beat yourself up.
0: Well, I guess that was one of the eye-opening things, for me, because Abby and I, we were talking about this offline, the whole hand washing versus dishwashing. Because there have been times where I'm like, oh, well, we had takeout and we used plates, you know, so there there are two plates and two forks to wash. It, it doesn't make sense to run the dishwasher for that. I'll just hand wash these. And Abby was telling me, it's like, no, the, the amount of water and soap that you're using on just those four items is probably more than what it would be to wash a full load in the dishwasher, just put them in the dishwasher and you actually come out ahead on that. And I was like, wow, really? Because like for years I've operated under the, if the, if the dishwasher isn't full or full enough, don't do that. It's, that's going to waste, you know, energy and water and soap and whatever. Just, just go ahead and hand wash it and get it done. And apparently that's completely backwards from the reality. And that was a little
1: bit of an eye opener for me. Yeah, that that brings me to uh, my next thought, which we'll we'll probably have Abby back on for something like this, um, bath or shower, because that sounds that sounds to me like the shower would be the equivalent of the human wa- or, you know, dishwasher. So these are these are questions that I have uh, in my brain. Yeah,
2: that you, you don't know. have to need to have a whole other episode. Shower wins every time.
1: Oh, okay, all right, well, good. There the we amount go.
2: of water it takes to fill Short a bathtub is so much more than you gotcha. think it is.
1: All right. So swimming swimming pools uh would be third, right? Yeah. Or since that's st- since it's standing water. Now now that's an episode. I'll keep adding <laughs> different ways to clean yourself until we can make it a full 30 minutes, Abby. Right. Just just to let you oh, know and to, <laughs> and to and to extrapolate. So so what you're saying is is for me to
0: to have my barbecue and take my paper plates with me into the swimming pool is far worse. Than if I collect all of my ceramic dishes and just take them into the shower with me. That, that's that's mm-hmm. the ideal. Right. That is it. That's, that's <laughs> and... the
2: takeaway. If you learn only one thing from this episode, let it be that.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think this is probably one of the more informative. <laughs> Abby, you know, throughout this conversation, I, I've been thinking to myself, where did you gather this? Is this um, did you read a book? Did you, is it collective um for, from the years, or is there a single source that you're like, hey, I know everything there is to know about plastic manufacturers, because I was thoroughly impressed. But also, if people would want to learn more, is there anything like that they would be able to deep dive into that you got Absolutely. some of your knowledge from?
2: Absolutely. And I'm going to provide you guys with some links that we can share with the listeners. Um, a lot of this is stuff that I've known from years of research, but I made sure that everything I shared today was backed up um, by a reliable source, and and I've gathered those together. But what I would say is, if this episode was interesting to you at all, and you have an hour to spare, start by watching Plastic Wars. It's a single episode of Frontline on PBS. It's available to stream free at pbs.org. Um, it's basically an hour deep dive into plastic, plastic manufacturing, and recycling. Um, And there's lots of good info to be had there. Another episode of TV that you could watch quickly that I would highly recommend, there's a show called Adam Ruins Everything, which every episode is a gem as far as I'm concerned. He uh, explains lots of things that you, you know, he busts myths, basically. You thought this Uh thing was true, but actually this other thing is true. Um, And he has an episode called Adam Ruins Going Green. I know this is available on Netflix, uh, originally aired on True TV, but I have I've collected some articles from NBC, NPR, Fast Company, uh, and Huffington Post that we can share with the listeners if they want to dig in a little deeper or just verify that I'm not blowing smoke up their ass because I'm not. But you should want my sources.
0: <laughs> of course, that's what you would say.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, thank you, Abby. For for coming on and and er, helping to course correct for Eric and I's random meanderings and bringing a little little truth and fact to the uh to the situation, much appreciated. You're always welcome to do so. Well, thank you, thank Eric. Thank
2: you so much for having me.
0: Oh, no doubt. No 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 problem. Anytime. Thank you, Eric, and thank you, listeners. I hope you you found this both entertaining and educational. And until next time, I hope you all have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Toddcast. If you have comments, questions, or topic ideas that you'd like me to chat about, you can let me know via Twitter at casttodd or email via toddcastpodcast at gmail.com. Keep in mind that the Todd portions of those usernames are T-O-D with a single D, even though I spell my actual name with two. If you'd like to leave me a voice message that I can air on the podcast, you can either email me a small audio file, or you can use the link in the show notes to leave a message via Anchor. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with your like-minded friends. Perhaps you would consider subscribing, following, or marking this podcast as a favorite if you've not yet done so. And of course, reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts is appreciated. Again, thank you for listening to the Toddcast.